Welcome to Full Potential, Thriving with Autism. I'm your host, Sarah Antonato. This podcast teaches parents of children with autism to support their kids in reaching their full potential so that they can thrive and not let stereotypes define them. By looking at a variety of topics, such as health, advocacy, and spirituality, my mission is to end suffering amongst these parents by giving them the tools to heal themselves, which in turn empowers them to be bold advocates for their children. By gaining the confidence needed to do so, these parents stop being the victims of a broken system and instead succeed in providing their unique children with exactly what they need to thrive and share their own gifts with the world. One by one, these families now change the world through autism instead of being victimized by it. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Full Frontal Living Podcast. I am here with a special guest who has been on the podcast before. I'm super happy to have her back, Sarah Antonato, my good friend and colleague. We've known each other now for three years, Sarah? At least three years, maybe more. Yeah, we met in uh, my coach, Tara Newman's Mastermind. And just really became fast friends. And then when we had some in-person retreats, we got to know each other better. And we've just always really jammed. We share a lot of the same values around our health and well-being. And I've had Sarah on the show before, specifically to speak around, you know, navigating anxiety, (laughs) once around navigating anxiety in a pandemic. So those are episode 19 and episode number 70, if you want to hear a little bit more about her journey with that. Uh, because she's been helping people with anxiety for years and years with her work with yoga and the all the ancient practices. I like to say she's a master practitioner. She likes to push back a little bit on that, but I get to call her whatever I choose. I don't push back on that anymore. I'm close to the two decade mark. And I feel like when you hit the 20 year mark, you can accept that title as a master practitioner. Right. This is what I think too. Like I've been coaching for coaching for like two decades. And when I think about how many hours I've logged coaching, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you want to know what, what gives you master status. It's the, the hours you've spent in the saddle mastering your craft and creating results for people. So I brought Sarah on though this time for a very different reason, and I'm going to let her properly introduce herself, but she has just played a really pivotal role in some of the stuff that we've been navigating with my youngest. So if you've been tuning into the podcast for a while, I don't know when this episode is going live because, you know, now we're doing all the batching things. feel like a grown ass woman here, batching and prepping in advance. But so in late 20, what are we going into? 2021? In late 2020, see how I've just erased 2020 because it was just that year. So in late 2020, when the pandemic hit, we learned a lot of things about homeschooling. One, we're not good at it. Two, we never want to do it. Three, I hope there's never, ever a pandemic again. But it was also a huge opportunity because we, we had our young, there were some red flags that came up and we had our youngest assessed. We put him through a psych ed, which basically helps us understand how his brain learns, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, where we needed to work with him. And we had to make some really hard decisions about school, what we were going to do. So the pandemic really offered us an opportunity to know him better. But holy, I was in a whole different 
land in terms of navigating this, which is why I brought Sarah on because I want to share her with you and the work that she's doing now. And, you know, I'll share more about this story, but before I just talk for 40 minutes, Sarah, how about you introduce yourself and let everybody know how you are showing up and helping people now? I would love to. I, in addition to being a yoga practitioner of 20 years, a teacher of yoga and spirituality for 17 years, I am also a mother and in that being a special needs mother. So I have two children, a son and a daughter who are nine and 10 years old. And my daughter who's nine is what you would call normal. I've learned the proper term is neurotypical. So develops, hits all her milestones, doesn't have any delays. You know, how she is on paper is how she is on, in life pretty much. And she's just that very easy, straightforward child. And my son, who's 18 months older, who's 10, his name is Rocco. He has been not the good on paper, same thing in life child from the get-go. And he is on the autism spectrum. He actually holds a dual diagnosis of ASD, autism spectrum disorder. And the second diagnosis is apraxia. And that is basically when someone can form the thoughts, the words that they want to say in their mind, and they come out almost like they're tangled or garbled. They don't present normally. So I had a student once, I was explaining what apraxia was to him. And he's like, oh, I know what that feels like when you give me this really hard yoga pose to do and my mind knows what to do, but my body won't do it. <laughs> I get this. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because it's true. And so he, as a 10-year-old, communicates using some word approximations that kind of sound the way a two or three-year-old would speak. I can understand him a lot of the time, but people who don't know him can't often. So he also communicates with a device, an assistive tech device, which looks like an iPad, but it allows him to form sentences. And he's become a really confident child. So if he wants something, he will take your hand and show you what he wants and needs if he's not able to communicate it. So his path is definitely not the, quote, normal path. We have learned a lot about how to advocate for a child who's different, we have realized that he is just as brilliant as my daughter, but goes about learning in a different way, shows his skills in a different way, or sometimes doesn't show it and you have to go looking for it, which is a whole different animal there. And whether we liked it or not, it's taught my husband and I a lot about ourselves as human beings. It has taught me more than anything else in my life, it has forced me to see sides of myself that I never wanted to see and really make peace with a lot of things in my life, not going the way that I wanted, but still actually being very beautiful. And it wasn't until I was able to let go of the expectations that I had that I was really able to see how beautiful my life with him is. And I was really able to appreciate him for who he is instead of wishing that he was something or someone else. So it has been something that I think a lot of parents can relate to because now pretty much everyone I talk to has a child with something unique, whether it be an attention deficit issue, a speech delay, some sensory issues, some processing issue, or something like Rocco has being on the spectrum. So I think this idea of normal that people have is just something that you see on TV. I don't think it actually exists. And I'm here now in the world working with parents to show them how 
you can stand up and assure that your child gets what he or she needs because very often they don't even know that they can ask for something other than the status quo. And yet they can, and in most cases they're entitled to receiving it, often at no cost to them. So that's how I'm showing up in the world now. And it was something I resisted for a really long time because this is not the path that I wanted at first. And then after years of doing my own healing work, I thought, you know, I don't think I can ignore this anymore. This is something that I actually feel very passionate about. So that's me in a nutshell today. I believe, and I know that you know this about me, that we are not here to guide our kids as much as they are here to guide and teach us. I have learned more about myself from my kids. It's always that instead of pointing fingers at them, turn the fingers back around on myself. I believe that our children choose us as parents because they bring with them the lessons that we need to learn. And one of those lessons for me was really learning how to be an advocate for Jake. There were a lot of things that, you know, came up as we had these, you know, tests done. They're not really tests. Like, you know, they're just figuring out how his brain works. There was a lot of things that came up for me around how I learn. So I've done previous episodes talking about how I had to kind of go back and heal stuff that I still hadn't healed in myself, places where I was still holding judgment over myself. It's also brought up a lot of conversations with my husband around what is normal, because especially in school, you're supposed to do ABC, one, two, three, and you're supposed to be able to do it this way. And you're supposed to be able to fall in line. I really struggled with that in school, right? Like I've, I've been really clear that I barely made it out, but I did. I made it out. I graduated. I made something of myself, uh, which most people who struggle in school are the ones who are changing the world, yet we're still holding this standard of this is what it needs to look like in school. So for, for Jake, his behavior had completely changed, and that's kind of what showed us that there was more going on. He was, and this apparently typically happens with boys, when there's stuff going on for them, it comes out way more through their behavior. Whereas girls figure, not not surprising, girls figure out how to turn it down, disappear and fly under the radar. So they often go undiagnosed because they don't show anybody that they're struggling. But in the case of my son, that was not the case. So we decided to not put him back in public school. And this is where I got really uh, a little bit blindsided. So not, how do I put this? I always trust that everything's going to work out, but I've been going back and forth with Sarah because we had decided to try him at a private school locally that was recommended to us. Like this was the school he needed to go to. And it was, you know, we had to go for a three day trial and then you know, he would be accepted. So we just kind of assumed because he had been recommended to the school, they were excited to have him, that the three days was just kind of like the means to the end. And then after the three days, we got word back that they weren't going to accept Jake. And I did, it, it was the first time in a very long time that I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to handle this. Like, what are our options? We're not going to send him back to public school, <laughs> homeschooling, 
I was prepared to do whatever I needed to do for homeschooling. My husband was like, no, that is not happening. It's just not happening. But that's when I reached out. That's when I reached out to Sarah and she was able to really guide me in a way and give me some tools that I didn't even think were available to me. So do you kind of want to, I don't know if you remember that conversation, Sarah. Of course I do. My husband always says I have a memory like a steel trap. Yeah. He tells my kids, he's like, careful what you say to mom because she's going to remember. But I remember that because we, at the same time, were navigating a new school for my son. And I think it's so interesting that they were going to assess Jake for three days because let's put this in some context here. They were getting to know a kid for three days in a new place with all new people. He didn't know anyone. And then this kid hasn't been in school for six months because no kids have really. And then they go back to school being in a new place with masks on. So they can't even get what so many kids need in terms of reassurance and ease through body language and smiles and facial expressions. And we take that for granted as adults, but kids really need that. So, so many kids were thrust into really challenging spots in that regard. So, you know, three days, I feel like you can take it or leave it almost. It takes well, time to get to know somebody. We couldn't even go in with him. Of course we not. Yeah. Like drop him off to yeah. a bunch of mass strangers. Yeah. Right. At the gate. Yeah. Bye, honey. Have a good day. I've never been inside his school. Yeah. Right. I've never been inside yeah. his school. So this was, this was the environment that he walked into. And, you know, for me, I, remember when you were having Jake's diagnostic testing done and you were telling me how this woman who you'd come to know who you really trusted was doing his diagnostics and she had recommended this school. And it sounded like she really knew what she was talking about. And it sounded like you guys had clear communication from the get go. And that's, I think why it felt really blindsiding. Wait, this school didn't just pop up on the internet. We were recommended to check this out based on what his needs are what's the disconnect, what's going on. And so to me, that put my antenna up because I thought this has just got to be a matter of communication because somebody who knows what they're talking about wouldn't recommend someplace that's completely wrong for him. And so I remember initially saying, get on a phone call with the school and you'd mentioned they wanted to talk to you anyway to tell you what they were seeing with him. And I encouraged you to have the woman who tested him be on the call with you because she was an emotionally unattached party who had just witnessed him and seen him with his strengths and with his challenges and could bring a voice of clarity and maybe point out to the school where the disconnect was. Because so often as parents, when you're sending your kid to a new school and you feel like it's an audition, you know, for something like a, a school play and you're putting the onus on yourself. Like, oh, I hope they take my kid. And very rarely do parents flip it around and say, okay, what's this school going to do for me? How are they going to be prepared to welcome my child? How are they going to make sure that they're looking at my kid's needs and really setting them up for success from the beginning? And it really should be, I think, as a parent that you're auditioning the school and not the other way around. But so many parents are quick to give their power away it almost act from a place of desperation of like, I hope they take my kids so I don't have to homeschool until the end of time, which I get, believe me. But I think in our conversation, it was really about you taking your power back as a parent. You know him better than anyone else. You were seeing come home from school happy and talking about his day in a way that he didn't in public school. And I had a child who last year came home from school really unhappy 
many days. And when he started a new school this year and he came home happy every day, I thought that alone tells me everything I need to know. And yes, I love the teachers. I love the program, et cetera. But as parents, we're very fast to hand over the power to the quote experts and assume that they know more than us instead of recognizing nobody knows my child better than me. How can I act as a bridge to make sure everyone's understanding each other? And that was really what the essence of our conversation was about. Because if this hadn't been the right school for Jake, I'm sure you would have seen him come home, have tantrums, be uncomfortable, be self-conscious. And that's not what you were seeing at all. No, he was coming home so happy. I was like, who is this child? Like he was even willing to wear, you know, a collared shirt that was, you know, like he, he was really coming home a different kid. So to hear that he hadn't been accepted was just such a, like what happened? And then it was, you know, the call to connect with them and find out what was going on was not for a couple days. So we were left going, okay, what do we, what do we do with this? So I did exactly what you had said. And I reached out to the lady who had done the testing for us and she's amazing. And she's, she's well known in the lower mainland as like the go-to expert. Like when she speaks, people listen. So I messaged her and said, you know, here's, here's what happened. I don't know the reason why, but can, you know, can you support me? And she was able to, she called the school, she called the contact that she knew there. She spent an hour on the phone with them without me. I didn't need to be there. Just going over more of what she saw with Jake because they had, they only had his report card, which said he was at this level, but I guess they were seeing him completely not at that level. They didn't have the full report from the woman who, you know, they just had kind of the synopsis of where he was at, which didn't include the whole thing. And because they were missing some key pieces, One of the things that had happened, we found this out after the fact, they had put, (laughs) just all the trauma, I feel it in my body. They had put, they had put Jake in the classroom beside one of the kids who could probably run circles around any math whiz on the planet. This is a school for kids who are, you know, they're really gifted kids, but all gifted kids come with LDs as well, which is, you know, we call them learning disabilities or what did you call them, Sarah? Like designations. They all have designations. We all have des- des- We have to label things, which drives me a little crazy. But if you don't attach the labels, you can't get the support that you need. So they they play a role, but they don't have a whole lot of meaning to me other than that. So they had sat him next to a math whiz, and here's a kid who we've realized has extreme anxiety about not wanting to look stupid is struggling with his self-worth because I guess he had been, you know, he, one of the things that we all try and avoid, even as adults is we, we do everything in our power to avoid being judged because we feel crappy when we feel like we're being judged. So not only are we trying to avoid the judgment of other people, but often we are trying to avoid self-judgment, right? We're not putting ourselves in positions where we have to actually see the places where we feel inadequate. So here they'd sat him next to this kid, I guess. And when, when Jake feels anxious, it comes out as bad behavior, which it does for a lot of boys. But they were completely unprepared for this behavior because they didn't have the full report. So they thought, well, we can't, there's way more going on with this kid that we don't know about. So it was shocking for me because he would come home like so happy. And then 
you know, in through this, all this communication, we were finding out that his behavior in class was completely different. But because of the intervention of this woman, we were able then to have another call with the school and sit down with them. And that's when things got really interesting because, you know, I had talked to Sarah before that call and you had given me some other tips around, don't be afraid to ask for what you want and what you need, which was like, I can ask for this stuff and you can speak more to this. And it really sent me into that meeting very empowered about what I wanted for Jake. And it really stepped me into that place of not us trying to get the school to take him in, but us being really clear on what we were looking for and what we wanted and how we were going to support him. Um, Do you want to speak to that a little bit about? Sure. It's so interesting because just as adults, and if you've been listening to Lisa's podcast, you've probably thought about, you know, what do I need to thrive? What do I need to be successful and happy in my life? And we have to do the same thing with our children. What is it going to take for them to thrive? And then know that we can ask for that. What you need to understand as a parent is that whether you're dealing with a public school or a private school, unfortunately, the people who are not working with your child every single day, like maybe the higher ups in the school or the district chair people or whatnot, are going to look at every child, because this is their job, they're not bad people, as a line item on the budget. Mm -hmm. And part of their job is to make all the line items add up to the sum total that works for them. It doesn't mean that they can't make exceptions. It just means they're never going to volunteer those exceptions or rarely, unless you ask for them. So when you're in a meeting for your child and they're saying, oh, your child's struggling with behaviors in this setting and they're having anxiety and we're noticing this, we're noticing that, you as a parent can say, well, what would it take to have a teacher's assistant sit with them during that subject? And they'll probably do a double take because most parents don't know that they can even ask for that, but you can ask for that. And often, not always, but often your district is obligated to pay for that. Or if you're dealing with a private school, they have the funds to pay for it. And sometimes they don't, and you can pay for things out of pocket too, and that's fine. But know that you can ask. And many people don't. And your district, any district, is going to bank on the fact that most people don't ask for anything extra. They just take what they're offered. And that's what makes everything line up and work. And so when you're that parent who doesn't automatically fall into line, but just asks more questions, what about this scenario? What would it take for my child to be in this program? What would it take for you to help them with this issue? What about bringing in an expert for this one particular thing? What about testing, having an assistant with them for three months, and then we reconvene? They take you seriously because they realize, oh, this person knows her rights. She's not opposed to stepping up her game and being in communication with us constantly to see how things are working out. It's not just the parent who comes in once a year for a parent-teacher conference and then goes home. It's the person who writes notes to the teacher a couple times a week, checks in, sees what is really happening behind the scenes instead of just assuming that everything is fine. And I remember when we received pushback from our district when my son was very small, maybe three years old, I had bumped into a woman at the beach who was a retired special ed teacher and she just shook her head at me and she said, you're entitled to so much more than that. I have some people who you need to call. 
And I called some attorneys and I called some advocates. And believe me, when I went into my next meeting and my language was different and I really demonstrated that I knew what my rights were, nobody tried to take anything away from me after that. Mm -hmm. But they will try if they need to make their budget work out. So, you know, I think so often if you're going into a meeting with your bank, if you're going into a meeting with a business colleague about a merger or a partnership, you're going to do your research first. You're going to know what the options are. You're going to know what the bottom line looks like. You're going to know what your deal breakers are. And as parents, we can do the same thing. We can prepare for our meetings the same way. We can advocate for our kids the same way. It's no different. You're probably doing this in so many areas of your life already. It's just a matter of applying it in a completely different way, which if you have sort of a regular kid who goes to a regular school, you're probably not needing to do very often, but if your kid is not fitting into the mold, that's when it becomes really valuable to frame this with a different energy around it and you really coming from a place of power and critical thinking, Mm -hmm. essentially, instead of just saying yes. I think, you know, part of it was when Jake was in public school, I really did want to take that hands-off approach right? Like I really did. I've never been a helicopter parent. Um, My middle child had a written output disability. So he had a, it's called an IEP, an individual education plan all through school. And, you know, it, it was pretty straightforward. We always got him what he needed, but again, I stayed pretty hands off. But when it came to, to Jake, when we realized what, what was going on, it was like, this isn't, I actually need to show up more. And that was part of the resistance that I stepped into was like, kind of like you say, I didn't want to take this journey with, you know, I didn't sign up for this. This is is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. I, you know, my, my older boys are, they're older, they're 19 and 20. Jake is nine. So it took a little bit for me to even step into, Oh, I'm doing this motherhood thing again. And now, Oh, I'm doing this motherhood thing again. And now I have to advocate. Like you can't just, be that kid that goes to school and learns the ABCs and the one, two, threes, and I can just do my thing. It really challenged me to step into and take responsibility for stuff that I didn't really want to. So there was a big, like, I had to sit in the soup of this is here for me. So, you know, when we went into that meeting, the school basically, you know, they were willing to try again. But now at this point, I was like, well, that's great. And the number one thing I'm concerned with is his emotional well-being. So there's no way on God's green earth he's going to come back for another three days and you're going to use three days to assess him because we already have evidence that three days is not going to be enough time. It would have never occurred to me to even ask for a longer amount of time had I not spoken to you. So they ended up giving him a trial period uh, till December, which he's got full enrollment now after, you know, after a month of settling him in and getting him all the help that he needed. And we even, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I love running my business. This is why I'm so passionate about talking about creating, you know, women really owning their money stories, because what I've created in my business is allowing me to be able to show up for my son in this way. And I understand that not everybody has that opportunity, but for me to be able to walk into that meeting and say, well, what does he need? Because I'm happy to provide, I'm happy to provide it. So just tell me, I think that that in part showed the school that I was really in it 
you know, I wasn't just looking to drop my kid off and here it's your problem now that we're really invested in it as much as, as they are. So, you know, he's gotten the support he needs now. He's getting all the tools and occupational therapists and, you know, his school is phenomenal. The teachers are phenomenal, but I would not have been able, I didn't even know that those were available to me. So I remember still sitting in my car going like, wow, it's been a long time since I felt like I don't like, I don't know, but trusting that everything I was, everything I needed was going to show up. And it just, it's always that, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. When I think about the evolution of our relationship, Sarah, like who knew that our journeys were going to cross in this intersection when you're stepping into this powerful work. And then I'm like, Hey, I need your help. I don't know what I'm doing here. And now to be a part of what you're actually stepping into and doing in the world is just so amazing because it was the wisdom that you have around this, the knowledge that you have around this. And I want to also add, it's not about you teaching people to advocate for their children while throwing themselves under the bus. Definitely not. And I think I can relate to the people who did that because like you mentioned, your kids are going to show you the things about yourself that are there, whether you want to see them or not. And I have two very unique parenting experience. My daughter is the kid who gets good grades in school, needs no extra help, socially healthy, emotionally healthy, just straightforward. I can be very hands-off with her and it's so freeing. And there are times where my husband will say to me, you know, like, can you imagine how easy it would be if Rocco were like that? Like, we could just be on easy street. Like, we wouldn't have to do anything practically. And, and we laugh about it because we know and we have accepted that's just not our life. And it's all right. And there was a time where I think we really wished it were our life. And it made us really sad to realize that our life was different from other people's. And there was a lot of self-worth healing that I had to do around that. I, for anyone who's familiar with the Enneagram. I'm a type one Enneagram. I like rules. I like a really clear path in front of me. I like to check all the boxes. I like it to be straightforward and make sense. And there is nothing about a special needs journey that is straightforward or makes sense. And I had to really get very real with myself and say, hey, you know, Sarah, you're now a yoga teacher of well over a decade at this point when my son was diagnosed. Are you going to practice what you're preaching here and be present to this moment and release attachment to what you hoped would be and really be accepting of what's here in front of you. Because obviously I believe as well, this is here for a reason, or are you going to keep resisting it and resisting it and making this painful for yourself? So for the parents who are like, I'm in this and it sucks and I don't want to be here. I just want you to know, I understand what that feels like and it's murky and it's uncomfortable and I get it. And when you stop resisting it is when life can be really joyful and beautiful. And for my son, even though he has diagnoses, which have often pretty common protocols in terms of what types of therapies they get, we were really clear that that was not going to work for him. He's a really unique child. He's very bright. He's very affectionate and emotionally intelligent. And he likes people. He's an extrovert on the spectrum, which is mind boggling for people to understand. And all the typical things that are taught in schools just weren't working for him. He needed more. And so it was up to us to really say, well, what's going to work for this unique person 
and keep looking and keep peeling back the layers to make that happen. And it's through that that I've realized, oh, you can ask for what you need. And just because a district hasn't given it to anyone else before, it doesn't mean they can't give it to you. You might have to be the first person who gets it, but it's possible. And you're going to discover things about yourself in the process. And it's that that really resonated for me when you said you're going to do this without throwing yourself under the bus because you can't, you would never have been able to have those conversations with the chair people at Jake's school if you had been in a panic spiral of, oh my God, now I have to find a new school for him and this place isn't going to work. And what if nothing works out and then I have to homeschool him and I better start going in that direction too. It would have just been anxiety to the point of paralysis. And it's really up to us as parents to pause, do what we need to do, whatever it takes to care for ourselves enough that we can stop that spiral, breathe, and then take action from a place that is focused, from a place that is centered, and that we know we can move from a place of power instead of a place of stress. You know, it's, I say that this work happens, like the work happens when, you know, it's blue sky, clear days, you're doing the work, but it's not until the rubber hits the road that you get to see if the work is actually work. So there's a lot of people who say that they stay in a place of peace and well-being, and then shit hits the fan. And so do they, right? So even though I was a little bit blindsided, like, oh my God, what is happening? I always knew that even though it felt like it wasn't working out, that it was working out. You know, you can be in that place of like, I don't know, I don't know, arms wide, I don't know, but also knowing that everything was going to be okay. Because for years now, I've been learning to advocate for myself. That's what my work is about. That's in part what your work is about, is really learning how to make myself a priority because then I can show up for Jake. I can show up for my family in a different way. And I think that a lot of parents with kids uh, with special needs or, or a lot of parents, period, do not know how to make themselves a priority. So when stuff happens with their kids, they're not coming at it from a, a place of being able to just respond. And they're constantly reacting to the things that are going on in life instead of being clear headed, instead of knowing who they are, knowing who their kids are. So I just think it, it's such powerful work that you're stepping into because I know that in working with these families that you're, you're working with, it's not just about how you're helping them advocate for their children. It's you teaching them how to be advocates for themselves so that they can be better advocates for their children over the long run. Absolutely. And for any parent, like you said, not just a special needs parent, is there anything more emotionally potentially beautiful or triggering than your kid's path in life and how you have a role in that directly? And this is why I've seen it. I've been in it. When you go to advocate for your child, it, you can become emotional so quickly and it can go to a point where the people you're talking to don't take you seriously because you become so emotional so quickly. And it's really, I think, in those moments, I have used all of my yogic tools. I have taken every practice that I've ever done and poured it into that moment of like, what do I need to do? to take a deep breath and keep my composure here and make sure that I'm not taking this personally because we're just having a conversation about X, Y, Z. 
And what do I need to be that person who can stand her ground and feel my feelings without losing control of my emotions when I really need to stand up and be in control of this whole situation? So I think because you speak so much to emotional fluency, I think there's a really fine line there for parents of all kinds, feeling your emotions, making peace with the things that you need to make peace with, but also being able to do that in a time, in a routine, in a place that is healthy for you so that you can get to these really high stakes conversations and not fall to pieces because you've done your work already. Yeah, that meeting was not the place for Lisa to collapse into her trauma about school and not feeling good enough and not feeling smart enough. That was the room where I had to really stand my ground around what I believed. It didn't mean that I didn't have feelings about it. I had a lot of feelings about it. But it's that ability to be with my emotions outside of, an, I don't want to use the word arena, but arena where I really need to just show up and stand in my power right? We can fall apart afterwards. But if we go into these meetings in our emotions and we're re- we then become reactive to what's happening instead of being able to respond from a place of being grounded, of knowing what it is we need. And I think that that's what a lot of people get into. They get into these reactive modes, which then now you're arguing, you're judging, you feel judged, right? You're making it about you. You're talking about your kid and you're taking it personally, like they're personally slamming you. <laughs> that's not what's happening. Each person is looking out for their own best interest. You're not going to win or advocate in the way you want to if you're, you know, flying off the handle in anger or, you know, melting into a puddle of tears. Yeah. And ultimately, people stop listening to each other when they get to that place. Very true. Very quickly. And the minute someone loses control over themselves, the other person stops listening. And what you really need in these meetings is to have people listen to what you have to say. Because again, nobody knows your child better than you. Nobody can advocate for your child better than you. So what do you need to do? What work do you need to do to be strong within yourself? And maybe the night before you cry because you're nervous, maybe after the meeting's over, you cry because it was just really intense and you need to let that out. And that's okay. But during being complete control of yourself and the situation. And it's something that I think requires practice, just like you going on stage and preparing for that. It wasn't like you woke up last spring, Lisa, and thought, oh, I think I'll go on stage tomorrow. I mean, there was nine months that went into that. And now by the time you go on stage, hopefully in August, that will be close to a year and a half, two years maybe that you've got, two years that you've put into that. And This is the same thing. It takes practice the same way. And in a free mini guide that I have that will give the link to your people, how to advocate for your special needs child in the middle of a pandemic, we talk about what does it take for you to go into these situations totally clear-headed? Do you need to be in the gym that morning? Do you need to be doing yoga and meditation daily leading up to that? Do you need to be sleeping eight hours a night? I mean, for me, it's a lot of these things. Do you need to be having breakfast that morning so that you don't get in there hangry and lose yourself because you have not cared for yourself in a basic way that you would definitely care for your children, of course, in that way. But the same applies to you. So 
while it seems so small, people overlook it. It's the same things that everyone needs. And then that way you can bring up the bigger conversations. You can talk about those sticky topics that are uncomfortable and you can do it from a place of strength yes. instead of anxiety. I agree. I agree. So they can find this guide that you've put together over at sarayoga.com forward slash journey, correct? Correct. Oh, that's amazing. And tell everybody about the book you're writing, Sarah. I sat down to write a book last year and the book that came out of me was not the book that I was planning to write. It was, and this is at a time where I wasn't even working with special needs parents. I was really deep in my yoga work and I sat down to write my book proposal and it was a book called The Journey I Never Wanted to Take, how my path as a special needs parent has healed me in ways that I didn't even know I needed to be healed. And that book will be released in spring of 2021. And it is both memoir, personal journey around how I've done what I've done, but also guide mark posts, spiritual guides for parents who maybe have lost themselves along the way because they put everything into their children or maybe want to be a better advocate, but they don't know how. And it actually has tangible tools you can use in every chapter to start caring for yourself in every single way, your mental, spiritual well-being, to do the things that you want and need to do as a parent. This is so exciting. So if they download the guide, I'm assuming they're going to be on your email list. And when the book is ready to come out, they'll be notified. Yes, ma'am. Amazing. I am just, I'm so grateful that I have had the opportunity to witness your growth and your change. And I love seeing you step into this work. I think you're going to be changing so many lives. I can't wait for your book to come out because I know what it means to finally put a book out into the world. It's like a thing. It's like a thing. It's like giving birth. It's like, a it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. You'll get sick of your own words by the time you're finished writing it because you will have read the chapter so many times, yeah. you know, it comes to the point yeah. where you're like, stop editing, just stop editing. And I have to say that when my son was two years old and was just diagnosed on the spectrum, countless people said to me, oh, you could be the next Jenny McCarthy. You can write books about autism. You can teach parents how to care for themselves. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I want. I was just trying to breathe at that time and figure out what this meant for my son's life, for my life. I didn't want to help anybody else. I couldn't help anybody else. Then as my own healing work happened year after year, I started to get little glimmers. I was like, oh, well, maybe I could. Maybe I could write one blog post or maybe I could do one podcast episode and that blossomed into a book and that blossomed into a whole new business in addition to my previous business. So it wasn't something that I just woke up and thought, oh, I'm going to do this today. It was the cumulative result of just showing up day after day in my life and I'm excited to help other people with it. I love how our journeys when we stop gripping them, death gripping them in terms of how we want them to go because it's never that way, that they just so naturally unfold. Because, I mean, you've, you've watched me burn down part of my business to start anew, to step into the work that I'm meant to be doing. So it's really amazing to watch you as well. So make sure you head over to Sarah's website, sarayoga.com forward slash journey. Download that guide, how to advocate for your special needs child during a pandemic. 
but I know it applies post pandemic and every single day. So make sure you guys head over and get that be on her list for when her book comes out. And if you want to hear more about Sarah, make sure you check out episode 70 and episode 19, because if you have a child with special needs, if you have a child period, you may have anxiety. (laughs) And if you didn't have it before 2020, you might have it now. Oh, this has been a year. This has been a year. But I think that that guide is even going to be helpful to read just what it, what it looks like to advocate. Cause a lot of people don't even understand what it means to advocate. They look at that word as being confrontational, which it's not. So before you do anything else, head over and grab that download for yourself if this podcast episode resonates with you, if you know a parent of a special needs kid, if you know anybody out there that is doing this work, um, make sure you connect this podcast to them so that we can get it into the ears of all the people who need to hear it. And of course, hop into my DMs on Instagram, go follow Sarah. Where can they find you on Instagram, Sarah? They can find me at Sarah, S-A-R-A dot Intonato, I-N-T-O-N-A-T-O. Perfect. So make sure you go follow her on Instagram as well. She's always posting amazing things um, and you can just stay in her community. So until next time, thank you for tuning in to this episode. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you being part of my community and I appreciate you taking the time to plug me into your ears every single week. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening today. And remember, you can't advocate for your child if you're still throwing your own well-being under the bus. Listening to this podcast is just the first step. I'd love to know one action step you're implementing after this episode to help you thrive in your own life. So follow me over on Instagram at sarah.intonato and let me know. If today's show resonated with you, please leave a review through your favorite podcast provider as it's an important step in allowing new listeners to find us when they need to hear this message in their own lives.